2: So if I tell you a secret about me, you have to promise not to judge me. You know how you all like to do that whole daylight savings time and then you got to fix all the clocks in the house. Like sometimes I just skip that. I'm like, I'm gonna keep this clock the same because in just a few months, it'll be right again. The only thing with that is that Whenever I'm walking past that clock I have to remind myself That clock is not right It is set to an old time This is exactly the type of work That we engage in When we come to a place And decide that we're no longer Going to be programmed By our pathway of being and thinking We have experiences that come up We have responses that are automatic triggers And we have to be willing to say to ourselves Wait a minute That version of myself That responds." the reception of what that experience was is rooted in an old version of who I am. I have to remind myself that is the old time. That is the old me. There is a new time, a new way of being that is present. When we talk about reigning over our past, this is the formula for how we make it happen. It is an acknowledgement that there are parts of my life, parts of my mind, parts of the way that I think and receive information and communication that... That is rooted in rejection. Maybe it's rooted in bad programming from my parents, the bad programming of abandonment. Whatever that programming is, there's nothing wrong with having it. We're all human. All of us have had experiences and exposures that changed the way that we were wired. Still, we have a decision to make, and that decision is whether or not we are going to allow our lives to be dictated by that old programming, Or are we going to say to ourselves, I need to update this system. I need to update the time so that it is a reflection of where I am now and not who I used to be. This is the work that Dr. Kia has been doing, and I am so excited that she is going to share with us her journey. You may know her from the Getting Grown podcast, or maybe you are Team Typing Fast. Maybe you have seen her on Twitter. I think her handle is now Moderna the Stallion, whatever it is. I promise you that she is the most beautiful, open, complex, complicated, powerful Intentional person that I've Had a conversation with as of late What I love about this stage of her Life and her journey is that She has done the work to understand Where are those old ways how do They show up in this new system and Do they have permission to stay here The answer has been no and She's giving us all of the tips Tools and tricks to help us Update our way of thinking and Being so that we can experience Freedom the kind of freedom That can only come when you have decided that it is okay for you to break away from who you were and to reign over your past. I present to you Queen Takiya, someone who is an incredible gift to us all and who is going to help us polish our crowns. Let's get into it. Can you start off this podcast the way you start off the podcast on getting grown?
3: (laughs) Well, I'm not the one that sings. Jay sings. Right. And I just... I just allow her to be herself Mm -hmm. and support her as a friend.
2: You you do sing, though. That's not true. That's not... You do some singing. I don't sing
3: on the podcast. I don't sing on the podcast. Um... Am I allowed to sort of say what we always say on Getting Grown? I don't want to. You know, I think
2: think you should be yourself. You know, when Jade came on, she really struggled to, you know, make sure (laughs) that she could like be Jade, but not like Jade of all Jades. Like she wanted to be Jade of one Jade. And that's and she did a phenomenal job. I'm so glad though to talk to the other half of the Getting (laughs) Grown podcast. You guys, your podcast is hilarious. It is relatable. I feel like any millennial especially black who is out here trying to be an adult should just go on and give it a listen and if you have some church roots you need to hear Kia just on there being churchy just unapologetically black and churchy for reasons we can't like you guys are see see you guys see Dr. Kia you need to listen to getting grown to see like Ty Kia like there's another one somewhere
3: Takia, listen, I try to show up as my authentic self in every space. Yes. And I have to be who I am. I am equal parts churchy and academic. I'm also 100% black all of the time everywhere that I go. <laughs> and so, this is who we are. Jade and I have been friends for many years. Getting grown has been something that we never anticipated, but has been one of the greatest gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and today's a special day. Today is Getting Grown six-year anniversary. We are celebrating six years in the podcast world, wow. and we're very excited and grateful and blown away by the amount of people who listen to us carry on week after week. But I'm, I'm happy to be here.
2: I am happy you're here. I wonder, so at the time that we're recording this, this is the 6th year anniversary of your podcast. Are there any instances that have taken place on the podcast that you wish that you could take back, but it's out there now. So you just got to let it live.
3: Oh, that happens to me very often. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah. I mean, we've been, I've, I've been asked questions and sort of put on the spot in ways um, about any number of things. And there are many things that I wish I would have responded to differently. Um not not in all all the times in terms of content, but I'm just a very I'm I'm a I'm a thinker. I'm a processor. And a lot of times, if you give me some more time, I could probably uh, say it better or frame it differently. Um, so, like, you know, there's been times when, yes, Jade, Jade has read uh, Honesty Box that if I would have known that that's the one she picked, <laughs> I would have asked her not to read it. Um And, you know, there's all kinds of things, all kinds of things. People ask me to sort of comment on my faves or when my faves have done problematic things. And it's like, man, I got to tell the truth, (laughs) but they're still my faves. But, you know, accountability uh, is a thing that we all have to sort of answer to. So, yeah, tons of things. But I guess over the course of six years and just being on the Internet, I've come to accept that, you know, Once it's out there, it's out there. And I just try to be as thoughtful as I can about what I say all the time so that I can always be proud of what I've said. But,
2: That's totally yeah. me. I'm definitely a processor. I tell people I'm a slow processor so I need a minute. That's one of the things yes. that makes speaking publicly so challenging for me is because I, I like to really be able to think something through before I say it. So if you just hand me a microphone and ask me to start speaking, like I've got nothing for you. But like, if you give yes. me a minute, I can come up with something but I need to organize my thoughts and get over my fear and then anxiety and all of those things to show up, which I think is just directly rooted in me having to actively choose to step into who I am and not who I was, which I think that is something that like any woman can relate to who's on a journey of still becoming like sometimes I'm at a crossroad and who I was wants to show up, but who I am needs to show up. Can you relate to that? And where are you in this journey?
3: For sure. Sure. In every way, I, I, I wholeheartedly relate to that. And I think that one of the things that I love is is giving myself permission to to change my mind, to, mm-hmm. to be corrected, uh, to offer criticism and feedback, but also to receive it and be, be okay. Like sort of breaking down that veneer of having to be polished and perfected all of the time, but allowing myself space to develop the practice of, of learning and growing and practice means that uh, you know sometimes you're going to nail it and sometimes yeah. you're not yes. <laughs> and <laughs> um, we had an awesome conversation on the show recently with uh, Nedra Tawab and she said that and that's something that I have been carrying with me ever since like our conception of practice means that we have to continue to do things perfectly but inherent in the concept of practice is messing up
2: yeah
3: Uh, And so that's been very real to me sure.
2: So, you know, one of the things that we're talking about, maybe you don't know, one of the things we're talking about this week at Woman Evolve is like, how do we come to a place where we believe that it is possible for us to reign over our past, like literally to to see it as something that we have tackled and overcome in a way that really gives us strength and dominion. And I think part of us doing that is coming to that place where we recognize that I am in practice, not perfection. And yet I think uh, um, I heard Gia Peppers actually posted this that like perfection is a trauma response that when we've lost control or a sense of agency that we find ourselves choosing perfection because it feels like it's going to guarantee us more safe outcomes or something that feels more within our control. And we all know that that's not true. I am wondering how much of who you are practicing today has required you to relinquish the trauma of who you were? Like what I want to, here I go again. I want to say this the way I hear it in my head. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just wondering like, who who were you? Like what was your story? How did you see yourself? How did you see God and others and your potential? And how have you had to practice breaking out of limiting belief systems that you once held?
3: Wow. Um the first thing that comes to mind, so so growing up in 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 church, um, especially being uh, a PK or PGK. Like my, my father wasn't a pastor, but my grandfather, uh, was a pastor for almost 40 years. And we lived with my grandparents, um, after my parents separated. So for the breadth of my childhood and all of my adolescence, I lived with, um, my pastor and was very much a part of that, um, sort of first family. Um, and so I'm very, uh, was very grow up, very clear about sort of like image and um, uh, who I represent um, in a way. And I remember early on, um, sort of latching on to who I was told that I was supposed to be and performing um, in those ways. I was supposed to be smart. I was supposed to do well in school. I was supposed to, you know, be serving. I was supposed to sort of, you know, check check different boxes. And so as I have come into adulthood and womanhood, one of the sort of really queer lessons and sort of pivotal points in my life was um, really realizing that for so long I have shapeshifted and conformed to what I felt like people wanted me to be. Um, wearing what I thought I was supposed to wear, wearing my hair the way that I thought that it was supposed to be worn or just sort of like chasing this aesthetic. Um, and it's not always just associated with sort of like church and Christianity, but also like, you know, wanting to be cool, wanting to be accepted, wanted to be um, liked. And for so long, I was chasing that and I never, ever took the time to get to know takia and to appreciate her and to learn who she is and what she likes and what she doesn't. And so I feel like in my adulthood, like I was left to turn 40 a couple of months ago, and I really feel like just now the lights are coming on. Wow. And I'm starting to be really clear about who takia is. And it, and it took me doing some things I'd never done before, taking some risks figuring out what I liked and what I didn't like cutting all my hair off and um, being okay with coloring outside the line or being friends with people who I wasn't quote unquote supposed to be friends with Um, and and really committing to a lifestyle of authenticity and learning that God loves me the way that I am. And so it is my, and I want to love what he loves about me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've asked him intentionally um and purposefully like show me who you had in mind when you said you was going to make me and help me to know her and love her and want to be her all the time because I got tired of of this hamster wheel of performance so that was a really long answer I'm sorry but I hope that I I hope that I answered your question.
2: You did. I wonder, in order to get to that space, do you feel like there was an element of deconstruction of your perception about faith and religion? And if so, what did you deconstruct in order so that you could embrace this identity?
3: Yeah, um, for sure. I remember distinctly when I moved to this area. I live in the DMV now, but I'm originally from New York. And prior to moving here, I moved here just about 11 years ago. It'll be 11 years in June of 2023. And I remember this concept of performance. Um, I remember listening to a sermon and realizing that, like, my relationship with God, with God was transactional mm-hmm. I, or how I perceived it. I thought that I had to earn his love. I thought that his love and favor were predicated on me checking all the boxes and crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. And I realized that when I had made a mistake and really fell far from God and ashamed and um The sermon was really like, listen, God knows that you're raggedy (laughs) and he loves you anyway. And so I it's just the way that it was said so plainly resonated with me. And it really made me start to think about God's love. And I had to sort of really divorce and unlearn this concept of love that was predicated on acts or behaviors or, you know, me doing certain things or not doing certain things and accept that, that unconditional love. And growing up, you say that all the time. I know that God loves me unconditionally, but I remember I was grown before I really, really sat with what that meant Um, and was able to start to deconstruct what, what were the things that contributed to me sort of having this transactional conceptualization of what love was. And, um, I remember, and I'm still working on on that and, uh, you know, in, in therapy and through like Bible study and sort of being critical around some of the beliefs that I've held for a long time. So, yeah, there's been a lot of sort of deconstructing this um, sort of, I'm trying to think, I don't want to keep using the word transactional, but it's kind of like this merit-based way yeah. that we, that we view faith. Um but it is in learning and dealing with some challenging life circumstances and loss and, and grief and hurt and disappointment and realizing that even in my worst moments of shame, uh, I am still God's daughter and he is proud of me. And there's nothing that I can do that will separate me from his love. And I've said that all my life, but it was took a long time for me to really believe that. If
2: you have ever considered joining the Woman Evolved Book Club, I don't think that there is a month that is more important to join than the month of May. For the month of May, we are going to be exploring the soul of shame. If you are plagued with negative messages that constantly live in your mind and you think to yourself, why can't I just get it together? Why can't I believe in myself? Why can't I activate what I believe is God's promise connected to my life? If you feel like you are standing in the way of you, I want to take a journey with you through the soul of shame. This book is one of the most impactful books that I have ever read I've dealt with shame it's been one of my biggest struggles but also one of the greatest things that I've been able to overcome join me and the members of the woman evolved book club as we take you from being restricted to limitless Join by April 10th so that you do not miss any discussion any tools any tips that we have for you the soul of shame is going to be destroyed so that you can be all that God has called you to be Man, I can't decide if I think that that, you know, merit-based transactional relationship with God is rooted in the church or does it start within our family systems? Because I Mm. do think a lot of times in family systems... If you like this is why we're gentle parenting, right? It's like if you do something or say something that we don't agree with, there's going to be a punishment that makes you Mm -hmm. feel disconnected, that perhaps makes you feel unloved. And in the process of that, maybe it'll help you get your act right. And when you get your act right, you'll receive love again. And so I think a lot of that probably starts within the home environment. And it's so crazy because I think that in an effort to really make sure that people were living holy and Making sure that they was living right so they can get into heaven, we really came down harshly on the things that we viewed as misalignment with God's word and God's view for someone's life. And I think that we became as a church so intentionally focused on making sure that there was a hard line in the sand for what was right and what was wrong that we missed out on an opportunity to say that there is no line for love. There may Mm -hmm. be a line that keeps you from being the healthiest version of yourself, from tapping into the fullness of who God has called you to be and experiencing the creativity and peace and power that comes with that. But even in that, there's still an opportunity for love. And so I think really having conviction over consequence is something that we didn't know how to master. So we were heavy on the consequence and didn't teach people how to Happen to a relationship with God that is so beautiful, so intimate, so all-knowing that you experience conviction that makes you want to avoid a consequence. I don't know if that made any yes. sense. You're the doctor.
3: No, no, it makes all of the sense. And I complete it resonates with me completely because it was the shift of thinking like, um, I my my what inspires me not to sin or to live holy is not. Um, a report card or like a pat on the back or anything like that. It is because I love and like, like I love you as my friend. And if you tell me that I'm doing something that offends you and I care about you and I care about your well being, I care about your heart. I would never want to do something that intentionally offends you. And when I made that shift in thinking of the God that I say that I love, when I, um, connected to certain things or bound to certain things that take me away from him, that grieves him, that hurts him in the same ways that I've been hurt. That shifted something from, it was a complete paradigm shift. So like, uh think from consequence to conviction yeah. is super critical. And I wholeheartedly agree that it, I would say it was both and yeah. um sort of our upbringing in the home and, and the church. Um Because I think, I remember, and, and not to one of the things that my um, the way that I was disciplined as a child, this is well before gentle parenting, <laughs> but um, I remember I got spankings and all of those things. Um, but when the things that really hurt me were when I was knew I was in trouble, was, I would be ignored. Oh, yeah. When I was on punishment, there was a chair in my grandparents' room, and when you were uh, on punishment, you were to sit in that chair. And that's where you were to be when you were not sleeping or showering or eating, you were to be sitting in that chair. Um, and I remember distinctly when my time in that chair, my my grandfather, other people would come in and out of the room and I would speak, hey, hey, and I, I would not be responded to. Um, or the response would be very short, very like, you're in trouble. And that resonates with me and stuck with me more than any other spanking or any other consequence. And sort of unpacking that as an adult in therapy and sort of in, in my other own work, I realized that um, you know, it triggered sort of a rejection issue, an abandonment issue that I've had. Um, and, and that, like really getting to the source of, of that and realizing that God has not ever done that to me. There's nothing that I can do that would make Him not talk to me anymore. Realizing and making those connections are, are, are things that have helped me to sort of make those shifts. Um, like you were talking about before. Sorry. No,
2: no, I love that. Um, it's it's making me think of my own parenting choices. <laughs> Like, <laughs> uh, let me tell you something. When I tell you, you talking about a practice is parenting because, <laughs> baby. When I tell you, it's a it's a practice. I don't know. I have
3: so much. To say I'm for y'all. doing
2: the best that I can. My dad talks about, he won't call it gentle parenting. He calls it soft parenting. And um, Mm. (laughs) so I guess what I got was hard parenting, but I'm telling you a hard, soft, gentle, it's all a little bit of a practice. And I feel badly because I think that, I don't know. I don't know who got the better. This is that. This is going to sound terrible. What I'm about to say is like, I don't know who got the better parent. My 14 year old when I was 14 year old and pregnant and trying to make sure that I was performing as a good mom. So there was a certain standard that I had or my six year old where I don't even believe in the standard anymore. And I'm like, do what you want. You know what I mean? Like raise like raise yourself. Talk to me about why you want to do it. If you raise a good point, you can have it. If you don't like I cannot tell which one is worse. And we won't know for like 20 more years so (laughs) (laughs) so that's what I got on that okay
3: And we're all doing what the best we can can. and that's just where we are
2: and I'm still raising myself just like for the record and you know I feel and I say this and this is like sometimes you well to your point about performance right like you don't want to say things like you're still raising yourself because you don't want to make the family look bad but the truth is that like you could do the absolute best you can for your children and still may not have been able to give them everything that they need and so the idea that I'm going to do this and do this completely well I think is the wrong goal. I think the goal is I'm going to do the best that I can and I'm going to hold space for them when they bring up areas where they need it more and hopefully I will be able to give them what they are able to communicate they need as soon as they are able to communicate it even if it means they're into their adulthood and that may be the best that we can do with this parenting thing.
3: Getting grown has shown me very clearly giving me perspective around my parents mm. and that has helped me to give and offer grace um, and, and whole space where the space that acknowledges the truth and reality of my pain and the way that I was impacted, but also the truth and reality of their experience.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, there are times when I look around my own little life and, and in my work day and I'm exhausted and, ready to go to bed. And I don't have anybody in here looking at me uh, (laughs) trying to get fed or clothed.
2: A bath, some lotion, homework.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Nobody's asking me anything. And then I think about my mom and I think about it. Like when I think about my age, I'm like, you know, when my mom was my age, she had like me and my brother were this age. And I just like, I remember my birthday is five days before Christmas. I always used to be like, I never got no birthday party. It's mad corny. Like, oh my God, it's such a shade. My brother got all this. My brother got all that. I realized that, you know, my last birthday party, my mother kept announcing during the party, this is the kid's last party, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> y'all better have a good time because I'm finished. And I will be like, Dang. But now, when I think about it, when I was 10, my mom was, what, 38? And she had me and my brother. She had no husband. She's trying to figure out so much. She was dealing, you know, she had, her, her marriage was, She you know, there's so much that she had been going through. Figuring out how she was going to provide for herself and her kids. And I can't imagine having to think In addition to that, think about feeding 13 other 10 year olds as well. And so like in the moment, what I have wished that she would have handled this situation differently. Yes, but I also can resonate with where she was at that point in her life. And the fact that she was doing the very best that she could given the circumstances. And so that parenting business, I don't know if that if the Lord has that for me, but I will say that I have such great respect um, for parents and I think about uh, like Dr. Um, Nedra's book, I'm like nose deep in at this point. She's like, parents are just people with children. We think mm-hmm. that people become parents and they automatically understand all that it means to be a parent. And no, it's just somebody who had a baby. That's it. Like that's just that's it.
2: Yeah. Why is a no carb diet trending? Which one of y'all hating on bread? I'm feeling some type of way, so let's talk about it. You see, these trends come and go, but bread it stays the same. Lately, I've been rocking with Noom. It's a program, not a fat diet, that uses a psychology-based approach to sustain eating habits and better understanding my relationship with food. I now honor my body through nourishment not restriction. This means I've replaced withholding myself from certain foods to enjoying them in moderation. That's right. Treat yourself. Don't cheat yourself. Noom's flexible program emphasizes progress over perfection. So if you're likely to get off track with your goals, sis, this is the right place for you. Still need convincing? Then check out peer-reviewed articles that describe the program's effectiveness. Friend, stop chasing health trends and build systems sustainable, healthy habits with Noom's psychology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com evolve. That's N-O-O-M.com evolve to sign up for your trial today. Also check out Noom's first ever book, The Noom Mindset, a deep dive into the psychology of behavior change available to buy now wherever books are sold. So it sounds like you are engaged with like the work of reparenting yourself, which is part of what I think any journey of wholeness entails when you are engaged in active reparenting, right? Like, cause it's like an overarching theme, but then there are moments where you're like, I'm going to have to actively dig into what I just experienced so that I can figure out where this comes from. What, maybe you can give me an example of what active reparenting looks like for you, because what I want to understand is like, where do you start? And then like, how do you get on top of that? Like, how do you get to a place where it feels like I'm, I'm going, I'm going under, <laughs> I'm going under this out. <laughs> they taking me back. It's It's so funny. We were walking around. I think we were in New York and they were out there uh, smoking the devil's lettuce, as someone would say. (laughs) (laughs) And I held my breath key. I said, they're trying to take me back. They're trying to take me back. That's what it feels like. (laughs) <laughs> that's what it feels like when you get triggered, you got to hold on. They trying to take me back. They trying to take me back. <laughs> I want to know, how do you like get back on top and say, you know what? I am not going to fall for that way of thinking. I'm not going to let this turn into abandonment. I'm not going to be defensive. Like, how do you reign over your past?
3: Um. Uh. Okay. So, Um, Like I talked about before, my parents separated when I was really young. And uh, one of the things that I have come to know um, as I think about my family and sort of the different transitions that we've been through is I internalized uh, my parents' divorce um, in in a very specific way. I was a daddy's girl, slim. Um and I feel like my mom had a very nurturing relationship with my brother, I was, I was, her staff, I was very, like, I was grown before we started to develop that more of emotional connection, but our, when I think about coming up, my mom was on top of me in terms of making sure that things got done and things were in order and I had a lot of responsibility. So I didn't get I don't with my father being absent, I didn't feel like I got a lot of the nurturing, the loving on. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm not careful, I can really have some strong feelings about that. And it doesn't take much for me to internalize things as rejection or abandonment. And, and in reparenting my, so it comes up it comes up in my relationships and friendships it comes up um when I feel myself going under or sort of those feelings surfacing my work has really been in allowing my feelings to be my feelings
2: yeah.
3: um in the moment uh because I think I, for a long time, I was just like, "Oh, I need to stop thinking that way. I need to move through that." But the truth is, you know, there I have triggers. Yeah. Uh, and I and if, and I can, you know, if you, if I can receive things even if you don't intend it to be a certain way. I can receive things in a certain way, and so I have to own that about myself. I'm a deeply feeling person. I'm not a person who gets over things quickly. And so giving myself the space and time to sort of say, that hurt my feelings. um, And accepting that also frees me up to really zoom out and get some perspective about why I'm feeling that way. And I'm able to really vet the feeling to see if there is any fact or substance behind it. Is this just a function of my feelings because, you know, my feelings can take me from zero to the worst case scenario very quickly. So I have to pause and say, is it is it that, you know, they're not answering the phone because they hate me and they don't want to be my friend no more? They don't have time for me. I'm not important to them. Or are they taking a nap? Are they in a the meeting? Um, are they otherwise disposed? <laughs> and if I give myself... Some space and time to really sit with that. Do I have a reason to believe yeah. what my mind is telling me? Um, or you know, instead of letting that that feeling rule me, my thinking, uh, acknowledging that I have the feeling, gives me enough space to, to be critical of the feeling, not from a place of I shouldn't be having it, but really trying to get at the root of what is it, what is informing it, and then once I have that information, I can make better choices. The reparenting comes that the practices that I'm able to sort of do that a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, when I first started, it would take me days to get over. Oh,
2: Don't now, even get me started. My husband, maybe <laughs> you're going to get, I'm going <laughs> to need a minute. I'm going to need a I minute. Mean, I'm going to need, I'm proud of me, but this about you, but I'm proud of me. <laughs> yes.
3: Yes. I'm going to need some space. I'm still having some strong feelings about this. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, <but laughs> I'm still having some very strong feelings about this. Um, but yeah, having creating space to ask myself questions and really sort of check in with myself. Um, And to your point, being proud of and rewarding myself. Yeah. A lot of my childhood was, you know, I grew up in the where My mama was like, you didn't get a parade for doing what you're supposed to do, girl. You're supposed to do (laughs) this. And so, like, there was no special occasions. There was no special treatment because you're supposed to get straight A's. You're supposed to be where I tell you to be. You're supposed to do what I say. Um, And so there was not a lot of... I knew that my parents and my family were proud of me, but I didn't get a lot of uh, girls. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So I'm learning how to give them to my help.
2: Yeah. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. I believe that journaling is a safe place for authentic self-discovery. No wonder years ago when I created a blog, I began to learn new things about myself. Writing and connecting with women was life-changing for me. The experience was heavy yet liberating. It opened me up to a world of opportunity. Getting to know our true selves takes time as we're constantly evolving. I've personally found therapy to be an effective tool for deepening the relationship I have with myself Therapy can benefit anyone It unlocks authenticity And empowers individuals To be the best version of themselves If you're interested In starting online therapy Choose BetterHelp As the world's largest Counseling service It will deliver the quality Of care you deserve Simply fill out A brief questionnaire To get matched With a licensed therapist today And yes You can switch therapists At no additional charge In hopes of finding The right fit Sis Support is just a click away. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/evolve today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel slash evolve Okay. That makes me want to make sure that I tell you I'm proud of you even more, just randomly. <laughs> even Just randomly. When I tell you. No, it's no, everything's fine. No, I because I I mean, can I speak? Uh, probably at once a month. I say we just kind of push each other and be like, hey, you still alive <laughs> over there? The devil up off <laughs> your back. Anything I can pray for? <laughs> yeah. But I think randomly, just when I text you, I'm proud of you, just know that no matter what is going on in your world, even if I don't know it's specifically that I am proud of you for being you. So I'm going to, I'm going to do better you. at that. I
3: Thank
2: have one you. more question for you before we go. And um, okay. I want to know, okay, but don't pick someone. Don't pick a family member. Cause like, you okay. know, moms, grandmoms, they're all good. We love them. God bless them. But I want to know the yes. woman in your life who was most impacted who
3: you are. Mm. One woman.
2: You can uh, mm. uh, a one, a one of many. A, like, that way nobody a starts start beefing face. over it, you know?
3: Yeah, I don't want to do and you going to start a mm. Um The first person that comes to my mind, well, two people come to my mind, but you're going to make me pick one. <laughs> um... My uh, dissertation chair, my advisor, like she's sort of like a professional mentor for me. Her name is Dr. Sharon Fries-Britt. Um, I knew that when I wanted to pursue this degree and this sort of career path, it was very important to me to have a model. Like I wanted to know how to be a Black woman in these spaces because I didn't want to feel like I needed to compromise parts of myself. And so I remember when I was selecting doctoral programs, I was very intentional about who I wanted to work with. And I came across Dr. Freeze work Many people encouraged me to reach out to her, but I did my research and um, I got into the program. The first sort of preview activity was held at her house. I think she was the program director at the time. And I brought, you know, I had my little suit. And I came in with a chip on my shoulder uh, because, you know, I I was carrying all of the trauma of all of my prior academic and professional experiences. And I had this armor on and I was like, I'm here to get this degree. Let's just, you know, let's just get to it. We don't kick and cut out all these pleasantries. I don't have time, blah, blah, blah. And. She saw right through me immediately and invited me to the her guest room and closed the door and was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I and I like burst into tears. Like mm-hmm. I did not plan it, but it just sort of like all, all of that performance and feeling like I needed to uh-huh. sort of be a certain way to be accepted, all of that came out. All of the all of the prior um going you know, through. Um, it's hard to be a black woman in a predominantly white space trying to get some training, trying to get some uh, credentials trying to sort of navigate this labeling you, all of that so you sort of put on this armor and I didn't realize how I had become bitter, um Mm. But immediately in our very first sort of in-person interaction, Dr. Uh, affirmed me and she told me very directly, you are here because you are qualified. Wow. You are here because you deserve to be here. I believe in you mm. and, and you don't have to change anything about you to be who God called you to be. And from that day, she has honored her commitment to show me um, how to be myself. Wow! Uh, there's, so, there's so much, like all of that performance stuff, like I was real deep in that, you know, from like we were talking about before, from the family yeah. stuff, from the church stuff, yeah. from the professional stuff, there was lots of layers of, what I thought I was supposed to be, who I was supposed to be. Um, And I never gave myself the opportunity. And no one before Dr. Friesbert looked me in my face and said, you are here because you are qualified. And since then she has shown up for me and held me accountable to that authenticity, to honoring the opportunity, to representing myself uh, with integrity and excellence and and being fully churchy watch it ghetto me <laughs> <laughs> um, with my long nails and my hope earrings and my, and my platinum hair and never feeling like I needed to be anything other than that and it was okay if I was both I uh, didn't have to choose I needed you know whether I was going to be funny on Twitter and and taken seriously um, in 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 the workplace but I I could do both
2: yeah
3: both things can be true so I it was hard to pick just one but dr Frisbit um changed the game and, and she showed up for me when everything fell apart
2: well uh, and well. I have to ask you what do you hope that she knows about her impact on your life
3: I hope that she knows that we know those of us who mm-hmm. she has taught um, and mentored and trained we know the level of sacrifice. We know what she had to contend with. We know that she's able to open the doors that she's able to open for us because she had to fight her way through them. I want her to know that her giving us permission to be human um, and to be to be real, to be authentic and accessible, it's been invaluable, and it sort of shifted the way that we do things. It shifted the way that I do things. It shifted. Um, it, it makes me want to do the same for other people. Mm.
2: Well, I think with Team Typing Fast that you're doing that and (laughs) what you do on Twitter, even what you're doing through the podcast, I think is an opportunity for you to help women who are on a similar journey. Maybe it's in academia, maybe it's health, maybe it's overcoming grief, Mm -hmm. maybe it's side hustling while also having this corporate thing. I just want you to know that what you're doing makes a big difference and that we are better because you said yes. And that we're all (laughs) going to get grown together and we're going to thank God for the teachers and tutors who were there along the way and you will be one of them. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Thank you for being patient with me and for giving so much of yourself.
3: Thank you for the opportunity. You know, I always love a chance to connect with you and I'm glad that you would, you know, Deem me worthy to come and hang out with you on this platform. I love everything that you're doing, everything that you're building. And I told you that we got your back. So you just let me know how you need me um, Mm -hmm. to support. And I'm always happy to do that. I love you. And I mean, it. I love you, too. Big time.
2: All right, friend. I'm proud of you. (laughs) Thank you, sis. I'm proud of you, too. Bye. Bye. Dr. Kia, you are such a wealth of information. I am thankful that our delegation gets to experience your brilliance. What a bright light it is. This conversation will transform the lives of so many women. Speaking of so many women, which one of y'all want to co-host an upcoming episode with me? Sis, I'm waiting for you to hit up podcast at womanevolved.com. Don't leave me hanging.
0: for generations to come, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's
1: right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novela, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio, season nine. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen.